we're going to start a new series called Peacemakers. And blessed are the peacemakers, for they will be called children of God. When you think of peace, when you think of conflict, what enters your mind? What do you think about? I uh, went on the internet and googled some, some images of conflict. And I thought, oh, these are kind of fun. And so the first one you can see on the screen is, it's two birds fighting over a worm. And there are times in life where we are fighting against others for something. Then there are, the next picture is two guys, and they're paddling the opposite direction. You ever been there? No, let's go this way. Let's go. No, this is the right way. This, and so sometimes it's our agendas or the things, other things that we fight over. The next one is a mental conflict, more of an internal struggle. Have you ever been there? Where there's an internal conflict going on. And then finally, I found this picture. I just thought it was kind of funny. It says, aren't you glad we had this meeting to resolve our conflict? And it just added a little more conflict. And sometimes that's the way it is. Where sometimes our conflicts just compound. However, I will tell you, conflict is not always bad. In a fallen and broken world, we're going to have conflict. Ronald Reagan said, peace is not the absence of of conflict. It's the ability to handle conflict by peaceful means. Many times we find ourselves in a state of conflict. And if we choose to do what is right, we are met with conflict. And if we choose to do what is wrong, we are met with conflict. So I'm standing there. My blood is boiling and my face is red and I'm angry and I'm into this confrontation and I'm arguing my case to perfection. I'll tell you I was right. It doesn't happen often, but I was right. And I was dunking all over her and dominating this argument. I had great points. And again, I was right. Finally, with great passion, control, using her past mistakes, and the very reason that I was right, I dropped the final bomb and boom, victory was mine. However, I didn't feel much like a winner that day when I looked back at this battlefield and there's bloodshed and there's bodies laying about and I see the destruction and I see my bride who I promised in front of God and other witnesses that I would love her for better or for worse crying. Hmm. What monster have I become? In my mind is what I was thinking. Because needless to say, my actions and my words were not of God, and I did not listen to the Holy Spirit when I was speaking. Today I love meeting with young couples that are entering, preparing to enter into a marriage covenant. Because I will bring Gina into these conversations, and we'll try to help them with their communication and their conflict resolution and fighting, because for two years for our marriage, it was really tough trying to figure out how to do it right. <laughs> and by right, I mean doing conflict and com communication in a way that glorifies God. When to speak and when to be silent. When to fight for your rights and know when to submit. 
You know, each day after creation, God looked at what he had made and he said, it was good. And after he created man and woman in his own image, he said, it is very good. So where did it all go wrong? Why is there conflict in a world that God created good? If we are created in God's image, how could we have conflict between us and our creator? And why is there conflict between us and others that are created in God's image? In Genesis 2, we see that, that God created man. And, and when he saw that he was alone, he said, that's not good. Man needs a companion. And so he brings all the animals and lets Adam name the animals. Can you imagine what a fun job that would be? You know, you're trying to pick a companion and all these animals are coming. We'll call this one monkeys. They're too silly. I can't hang with them. Here come the elephants. Oh, those are elephants. Way too big. Here come the lions. Nope, too toothy. Keep going. I mean, there was not a companion suitable for man. So let's pick it up in Genesis 2, 21 through 25. It says this. So the Lord God caused the man to fall into a deep sleep. While the man slept, the Lord God took out of the man uh, one of his ribs and closed up the opening. Then the Lord God made a woman from the rib, and he brought her to man. At last, the man exclaimed, this is on his bone from my bone and flesh from my flesh. She will be called woman because she was taken from man. This explains why man leaves his father and mother and is joined to his wife, and the two are united into one. Now the man and his wife were both naked, but they felt no shame. Do you see it? The world is good. Everything in the world is right. It is as it should be. However, we have an enemy. And in Genesis chapter 3, we're going to see there is an enemy. God has an enemy. Satan wanted to be God. So the first thing we must do is become aware that there is an enemy. To understand why there's conflict in the world and why that we are called to be peacemakers is we must understand first that we have an enemy. There is an enemy in this world. We must be aware of this. His name is Satan. In Isaiah 14, we get a glimpse of what Satan is, how he works, why he became what he became. In verse 12, it says this, how you are fallen from heaven, O shining star, son of the morning. You have been thrown down to the earth, you who destroyed the nations of the world. For you said to yourself, I will ascend to heaven and set my throne above God's stars. I will preside on the mountain of the gods, far away in the north. I will climb to the highest heavens and be like the most high. Instead, you were brought down to the place of the dead, down to its lowest depths. See, there's an enemy, an enemy that wanted to be God. Next, we must become aware of the enemy's battle plan. You see, Satan doesn't just show up and say, aha, I'm going I'm to bring destruction because we have a choice to choose right or to choose wrong. And so many times Satan shows up with a battle plan because he knows us. And if we aren't ready, if we aren't pouring into the Lord and developing a battle plan of our own, we will be defeated. But we know who holds the battle plan. We're going to get to that later on. But our enemy, we need to know, has a plan of attack. 
the first part of his plan is deception. In Genesis chapter 3, Satan enters this world of peace and goodness through God's own creation, a serpent. He didn't just show up and appear and tempt Eve and Adam. He showed up using what God had created. Because Adam and Eve were familiar with the animals. They knew the serpents. I mean, the crazy thing is they have a conversation, right? The serpent goes to the woman and asks, Did God really say that you must not eat the fruit from any of the trees in the garden? Of course, that's not right. But what it does is it opens her dialogue with the serpent. And it gets her mind going down a road of, Huh, is God putting restrictions on me? Eve answers the serpent saying, no, 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 no. We can eat of any tree in the garden. Well, except for the tree in the middle of the garden, we can't eat or, or touch it. Which really, if you look at Genesis chapter 2, it only says you may not eat of the tree. It doesn't say you can't touch it. So it's interesting to know where did, she, where did this extra restriction come in? But then sometimes I think that's what, that hurts us too, knowing the mind of God is when we add things to his commands. But... That's beside the point, because the point is, Satan's got her right where he wants her. Starting to think, huh, why is God telling me not to eat of this fruit? So then Satan moves from, from this deception to more of a questioning and planting seeds of doubt. So Satan is attacking by having us question God. Question and doubt who God is, his goodness. The serpent tells Eve, he says, Eve, you won't die. But God knows that your eyes will be opened and you will be like God, knowing both good and evil. You see, Satan fell from heaven because he wanted to be as powerful and like God. He was thinking, I could be God. The thought, got, the thought got planted into Eve. And even though she knows that God loves her and there's a relationship, she still doubts. What am I missing out on? You see, I think the hard thing when you read your Bible sometimes is you go from Genesis 2 where, where man and women are, are created, you know, Adam and Eve are created, and then we jump right into the fall. What we miss in the middle is that there is a relationship. That God came each day and he walked and he talked with Adam and Eve. They knew him. They knew that God loved them. They knew that he wanted what was best. It was a father-child relationship. It was a good relationship. Which is why Satan had to have a plan of attack. Because there was a relationship there. And I think sometimes we miss out when we just read straight through and we don't stop and really think about what's going on here and put yourself in that situation where, huh, there's a strong relationship there that's being torn apart. In fact, it's interesting because when I was a child, I usually, most, for the most part, I, did, I, I made good decisions unless my parents said to not do something. And then I started thinking, wait a minute, now I've got to figure out why they don't want me to do this which usually led to me experiencing pain or punishment. And the same is true here in the story. The final part of Satan's plan of attack 
is to get us into idolatry and ultimately our destruction. He wants us worshiping other gods, for us to take control from God, to be maybe our own God, or give God's rule and authority to something else in our lives that's not God. In fact, Eve looks at this tree and and she sees that it's pleasing to the eye, and many sins are. This fruit looks delicious, and she's thinking, it gives me the mind of God. Why should I not take this fruit and eat it? So she grabs it, and she eats it. Then she shares it with Adam, which is interesting. I I think, you know, in in Sunday school, I used to always, when I heard this story, I always thought, okay, so Eve was talking to this snake, which is kind of weird anyway. So she's talking to the serpent, and then she gets the fruit, and she eats it. And then she goes running to the garden to go find where Adam is and then shares it with him. But the interesting thing when you look through this story is Adam is there the entire time. He's listening. He's a part of this conversation. He knows what's going on. He knows he's not supposed to eat this, which is interesting when we get to when God confronts them. But Eve shares this with Adam, and Adam takes it and eats. And what happens? Their eyes are opened. They do know good and evil, but now they see their nakedness, and they feel shame because they understand the weight of their disobedience. And then God comes. And I love this because it says God comes walking through the cool of the night, walking in the garden, just like he normally does. You know, it's time for him to go and and speak with his children. And he calls out, you know, because he's got to find them, right? Adam, Eve, where are you? And can you imagine Adam comes out of like a bush and he's like, God, we're over here. We're naked. We, we're, we hid because we're naked. And, and, and God looks and says, who told you? Have you eaten? See, God, God knows, but he's allowing he, the relationship. He cares about the relationship. And that's the same with us. And he says, what, what did you do? Did you eat of the fruit? Gee, the tree I told you not to. And Adam, of course, you know, confesses. But of course, like many of us, well, Yes, but this woman that you put here, God, you know, my companion that was so perfect for me that you put here, she's the one. And he says, Eve? And Eve, well, God, you you know, this serpent that you created, you know, the serpent you put here in this perfect garden, this great, everything's good. He's the one. And so, You see here it went from questioning to doubting to sin to casting blame. In fact, if we really read into the story, Adam and Eve are really trying to cast the blame back onto God, saying, God, you put this all into motion. If you'd have done a better job, God, then then I wouldn't have fallen. And many times I think in our sins, and, and for you look around the world and people want to blame God. If they believe there's a God, they want to blame God for some of the things going on in the world when really God's saying, I love you, and I'm giving you a choice to choose. You can choose me or not. You see, the root of conflict many times is idolatry. Our memory verse, the last few weeks in Matthew 22, 37 through 38, and it says, Love the Lord your God with all your heart, with all your soul, with all your mind. This is the first and greatest commandment. And Israel knew this as the Shema, 
which is in Deuteronomy 6, 4 through 9. Listen to this. Listen to the words of God. Listen, O Israel, the Lord is our God, the Lord alone. And you must love the Lord your God with all your heart, with all your soul, with all your strength. You must commit yourselves wholeheartedly, not just a little bit, not just on Sundays, wholeheartedly to these commands that I'm giving you today. Get this, repeat them again and again to your children. Talk about them when you're at home and when you're on the road, when you're going to bed and when you're getting up. Tie them on your hands. Put them on your foreheads as reminders. Write them on your doorposts and on your gates. I love this. There's a reason why over and over again this verse is saying repeat this. Repeat this to your children. Put it on your hands. Put it on your foreheads. Put it on your doorpost so that when you're coming in, you're knowing God is God. And when you're going out, put it on your gates so that you know God is God. That you're not God. That the things of this world are not God. That God is your creator. God is love. God wants what's best for you. And you are to live for him. That he is the creator, and we are the created. For the Israelites, they were preparing to enter a land full of different gods and idols, made of wood and stone or metal, but they were not God. They were false gods, and in America today, there are many false gods, and they want to rob us of our joy. They want to steal our hearts. They want to steal our focus away from God. How do you know if something in your life is becoming an idol, becoming a God. If you're worshiping something other than the one true God, here are a few questions I think it's just good for us to ask ourselves every day. What or who do I fear most? If it's not God, then whatever I fear has become my master and my Lord. When a certain desire or demand is not met in my life, do I feel frustration, bitterness, and anger? Am I craving something more than God? When we choose to be disobedient to the Lord, there are consequences. In in chapter 3, let's pick up in verse 14, and we're going to see the consequences here. It says, Then the Lord God said to the serpent, Because you have done this, you are cursed more than all animals, domestic and wild. You will crawl on your belly, groveling in the dust as long as you live. And I will cause hostility between you and the woman, and between your offspring and her offspring. He will strike your head and you will strike his heel. Then he said to the woman, I will sharpen the pain of your pregnancy. And in pain you will give birth. And your desire will be to control your husband, but he will rule over you. And to the man he said, since you listened to your wife and ate the tree, whose fruit I commanded you not to, the ground is cursed because of you. All your life you will struggle to scratch a living from it. It will grow thorns and thistles. Though you will eat of its grains, by the sweat of your brow you will, uh, will you have food to eat until you return to the ground from which you were made. For you were made from dust, and to dust you will return. Now this doesn't mean God doesn't love us. I have to discipline my children because I love them, and I want them to know how to live. Obviously, we don't always handle the conflicts the right way. I don't always handle conflicts the right way. In fact, I was talking to uh, Miss Janice Burrow before, and we were talking about my coaching. And she said, you know, I was telling her, hey, every once in a while I hand it right. She said, yeah, one out of ten, that's pretty good. And I think, yeah, that is pretty good. But there are times 
there is a time I want to share with you where I did handle conflict well, because I think sometimes it's good for us to envision, you know, how the Lord can work in our life. We used to live in, in Sugarland, Texas, down in southwest Houston. And I remember we used to have to put trash cans out. Now, we had to buy our own trash cans, one like here in Dallas where they give you the little toters. We had to buy trash cans, and you put it trash in your bags, you put it in the cans, and you put the cans out of the curb. And so I did that one day, and then I went off to work, and I was like, man, it is really windy today. I come back home, and as I'm driving through my neighborhood, there's trash cans just all over the road because the wind was just out of control, kind of like yesterday. And I'm, I'm driving through, and there's trash cans. I thought, okay, I'm going to be a good neighbor. And I stop, and I start putting trash cans up, and I'm feeling good about myself. And I get to my house, and I'm, I'm like, well, there's one trash can. Where'd the other one go? I thought, that's weird. So I put it up, and I go looking through the neighborhood, and I can't find it anywhere until the next trash day when my next-door neighbor puts my trash can out at his curb with his trash in it. He had stolen my trash can. I thought, oh, the humanity, what is going on? What kind of world do we live in? And I was thinking, okay, I'm good at confrontation. I played football. I don't really know my neighbor that well. And, um, you know, for the most part, I'm not scared of conflict. I'm okay with it. And I was like, let me calm down and maybe I'll, I'll be able to handle this right. And go in and I tell Gina, you're not going to believe this. Our neighbor stole our trash can and put it out. And she's like, well, you got to go talk to them. I said, I know. But then I felt the Holy Spirit telling me, Go buy a new trash can. Don't confront your neighbor on this. You see, they were new. I hadn't developed a relationship with them yet, and I was a little angry. And God was saying, no, go buy another one. I don't like spending money, especially when I see my money on my neighbor's curb. <clears throat> but I thought, okay, Lord, I'll go do it. So I went and bought another trash can and didn't know why, but that's what the Lord was telling me. And so... A couple months later, I'm out mowing my yard. I get through, get me a big glass of water. Kids are playing out front. I'm drinking a glass of water, and I look over. My neighbor's in his front yard. He looks really upset. And I'm thinking, he figured out that he stole my trash can. <laughs> that wasn't it. But I look over. I said, are you okay? And we started this dialogue, this conversation, where he was going through just a horrible time at work. And health-wise, things weren't good with his wife. He was struggling. He was hurting. And I, I prayed over him. I started praying for him from then on. And it opened a, a door. It opened a conversation with a neighbor that maybe have been closed had I gone with the conflict at the very beginning. So praise the Lord that the Holy Spirit said, stop. And I listened. Because when God is not king of my life, meaning that I don't submit to him in every area of my life, I'm going to encounter a lot more conflict in my life. And I'm going to feel a lot less peace. So am I willing to be okay with life not being about me? Can I lay down my pride? Can I repent and seek forgiveness and reconciliation with the Lord and with others? You see, the foundation of peacemaking is Jesus Christ. In fact, Jesus is the new Adam. We see in Romans 5, 12, we read, 
When Adam sinned, sin entered the world. Adam's sin brought death, so death spread to everyone, for everyone sinned. But you go down to verse 18 in Romans 5, and it says, Yes, Adam's one sin brings condemnation for everyone. But, here's the good news, Christ's one act of righteousness brings a right relationship with God and a new life for everyone. Paul says it differently here in 1 Corinthians 15, 22. He says, just as everyone dies because we all belong to Adam, everyone who belongs to Christ will be given new life. But there is an order to this resurrection. Christ was raised as the first harvest. Then all who belong to Christ will be raised when he comes back. So do you see there can only be one Lord in our life? You see, when Jesus is Lord in our conflicts and in our storms of life, it brings order and it brings peace. In Philippians 4, 6-7, Paul says, Don't worry about anything. Instead, what? Pray about everything. Give it to God. Tell God what you need. Thank Him for what He has done. Then you will experience God's peace, which exceeds anything we can understand. His peace will guard your hearts and your minds as you live in Christ Jesus. So what conflicts are you experiencing today that are too great for God to handle? Do you really believe he wants what's best for you? Do you believe he knows you, that he wants to give great gifts to you? The Bible says we are his children. And if God is our maker, he should know what is best for us. May not be what we want. There are times in my life that I've had conflict that I didn't ask for, that I didn't want, that I just had to hold on to the Lord for dear life. Have you ever been there? The interesting thing is when you hold on, the Spirit brings peace. A peace that passes understanding. Isaiah 53, 3-5 says this about Jesus as our, as our peacemaker. It says, He was despised and rejected, a man of sorrows, acquainted with deepest grief. We turned our backs on him and looked the other way. He was despised and we didn't care. Yet it was our weakness he carried. It was our sorrows that weighed him down. We thought it was his troubles were his punishment from God, a punishment for his own sins. But he was pierced for our rebellion, crushed for our sins. He was beaten so we could be whole. He was whipped so we could be healed. He brought us what? Peace. By his wounds, we are healed. Our conflict he took in return, he gave us his peace. He gave us his grace. He gave us everlasting life and a love that will last a lifetime. Blessed are the peacemakers, for they will be called children of God. There's a song by Hillsong that's new out right now, and it says, I am who you say I am. Listen to these words and let them wash over you. So hopefully this week, as you're entering into times of maybe conflict, that you'll be reminded of who you are, and maybe this will bring you a little peace. It says, who the Son sets free, oh, he's free indeed. Yes, I am. I'm a child of God. Yes, I am. In my Father's house, there's a place for me. I'm a child of God. Yes, I am. I am chosen, not forsaken. I am who you say I am. You are for me. You're not against me. I am who you say I am. Knowing this truth, 
this love, this peace that God brings as his children should motivate us to go and be his ambassadors. We are called to bring his peace, his love, his ministry of reconciliation to our own life, to our families, to our neighbors, to our schools, and to our workplaces. We're not the Lord of our lives. We're called to give our life and our conflicts to the King of Kings. This morning, what conflict is in your life that you need to surrender to the Lord? If you've not said yes to Jesus, Lord, yet, maybe it's time this morning for you to surrender, to be baptized, to say, yes, Jesus is Lord, to receive his peace, to receive his spirit, and live a new life. However you need to respond this morning, please respond as we stand and sing.